Acts chapter 10. So I'm going to read the chapter to you. And I'm not going to try to rush through and get through the entire chapter today. Maybe we will, but probably we won't, okay? Because um, it's never good to rush through the Word of God. Because we have all eternity, right? So, Acts chapter 10, beginning in verse 1, There was a certain man in Caesarea called Cornelius, a centurion of what was called the Italian regiment, a devout man and one who feared God with all his household, who gave alms generously to the people and prayed to God always. About the ninth hour of the day, that's about 3 p.m. in the afternoon, at about the ninth hour of the day, he saw clearly in a vision an angel of God coming in and saying to him, Cornelius, and when he observed him, he was afraid and said, What is it, Lord? So he said to him, your prayers and your alms have come up for a memorial before God. Now send men to Joppa and send for Simon, whose surname is Peter. He is lodging with Simon, a tanner, whose house is by the sea. And he will tell you what you must do. And when the angel who spoke to him had departed... Cornelius called two of his household servants and a devout soldier from among those who waited on him continually. So when he had explained all these things to them, he sent them to Joppa. The next day, as they went on their journey and drew near the city, Peter went up on the housetop to pray about the sixth hour. Then he became very hungry and wanted to eat. The sixth hour, by the way, is noon. He became very hungry and wanted to eat. But while they made ready, he fell into a trance and saw heaven opened and an object like a great sheet bound at the four corners descending to him and let down to the earth. In it were all kinds of four-footed animals of the earth, wild beasts, creeping things, and birds of the air. And a voice came to him, Rise, Peter, kill, and eat. But Peter said, Not so, Lord, for I have never eaten anything common or unclean. And a voice spoke to him again the second time, What God has cleansed, you must not call common. This was done three times, and the object was taken up into heaven. Incidentally, this is why anyone that uses the article of, oh, so you still eat bacon and shrimp? Well, you're disobeying God's law. You can tell them, well, you need to go read the Bible because you obviously have not read the Bible. And you can send them to Acts chapter 10. Now, while Peter wondered within himself <clears throat> what this vision which he had seen meant, behold, the man the men who had been sent from Cornelius had made inquiry at Simon's house and stood before the gate. And they called and asked whether Simon, whose surname was Peter, was lodging there. And while Peter thought about the vision, the Spirit said to him, Behold, three men are seeking you. Arise, therefore, go down, go with them, doubting nothing, for I have sent them. Then Peter went down to the men who had been sent to him from Cornelius and said, Yes, I am he whom you seek. 
For what reason have you come? And they said, Cornelius the centurion, a just man, one who fears God and has a good reputation among all the nation of the Jews, was divinely instructed by a holy angel to summon you to his house and to hear words from you. Then he invited them in and lodged them. And on the next day, Peter went away with them, and some brethren from Joppa accompanied him. And the following day, they entered Caesarea. Now Cornelius was waiting for them and had called together his relatives and close friends as Peter was coming in. Cornelius met him and fell down at his feet and worshipped him. But Peter lifted him up, saying, Stand up, I myself am also a man. And as he talked with him, he went in and found many who had come together. Then he said to them, You know how unlawful it is for a Jewish man to keep company with or go to one of another nation. But God has shown me that I should not call any man common or unclean. Therefore I came without objection as soon as I was sent for. I ask then, for what reason have you sent for me? So Cornelius said, Four days ago I was fasting until this hour, and until, until the ninth hour. I prayed with my house, and behold, a man stood before me in bright clothing and said, Cornelius, your prayer has been heard, and your alms are remembered in the sight of God. Send therefore to Joppa, and call Simon here, whose surname is Peter. He is lodging in the house of Simon, a tanner by the sea. And when he comes, he will speak to you. So I sent to you immediately, and you have done well to come. Now, therefore, we are all present before God to hear all the things commanded you by God. Then Peter opened his mouth and said, In truth, I perceive that God shows no partiality, but in every nation, Whoever fears him and works righteousness is accepted by him. The word which God sent to the children of Israel, preaching peace through Jesus Christ, he is Lord of all. That word you know, which, has, which was proclaimed throughout all Judea and began from Galilee after the baptism which John preached, how God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit and with power, who went up doing good and healing all who were oppressed by the devil, for God was with him. And we are witnesses of all these things which he did, both in the land of the Jews and in Jerusalem, whom they killed by hanging on a tree. Him God raised up on the third day and showed him openly, not to all people, but to witnesses chosen before by God, even to us who ate and drank with him after he rose from the dead. And he commanded us to preach to the people and to testify that it is he who, has, who was ordained by God to be judge of the living and the dead. To him all the prophets witness that through his name whoever believes in him will receive remission of sins. While Peter was still speaking these words, the Holy Spirit fell upon those who heard the word. And those of the circumcision who believed were astonished, as many as came with Peter, 
because the gift of the Holy Spirit had been poured out on the Gentiles also, for they heard them speak with tongues and magnify God. Then Peter answered, Can anyone forbid water that these should not be baptized, who have received the Holy Spirit just as we have? And he commanded them to be baptized in the name of the Lord. Then they asked him to stay a few days. Well, Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for the gospel of Christ. We thank you for this account. Lord, that happened some 2,000 years ago. This account of two men simply praying something they did every day at the same time every day and in their daily routine Lord you interrupted and you literally changed the course of history Father I pray that you would help us to know that the same God Cornelius and the same God that Peter prayed to the same God that they served is the very same God that we serve the same spirit that fell on Cornelius and all that were in his household gathered that day is the same spirit that raised Christ Jesus from the dead. It's the same spirit that lives and dwells in us. And just as it rose and raised Jesus and strengthened his mortal body, so it will strengthen our mortal body. And so it will lead us and guide us and teach us and give us light concerning all things. Father, help us. To never minimize who we are in Christ. And help us to always have that wonder and that amazement. That that very same spirit that rose, that rose up, that raised up Jesus. That caused the church to rise up. And fill the earth with the gospel is the very same spirit that lives in us right now. And what may have seemed impossible for Peter and Cornelius, we know now not only was possible, but Lord, it was accomplished through you. So Lord, what may seem impossible for us, give us faith to believe. That what is impossible to us is not impossible for you. So give us that hope in Jesus. That we would be a people who trust you and believe you for even the impossible. In Jesus' name, amen. Everything is connected in some way, directly or indirectly. In obscure ways or in clear and obvious ways. So you think about it. Nothing happens in a vacuum and everything has an effect on something else. So last week we read in Acts chapter 9 and we saw the account of Peter simply going through the countryside and encountering Aeneas, a lame man, a paralytic bedridden for eight years. Peter goes to Aeneas, he prays, he's healed. Such a notable, such a miraculous thing that, that it says everyone in that town turned to the Lord. And news of Peter's presence there in Lydda spread all the way to Joppa, which wasn't far away. But remember, they didn't have Facebook and Twitter and all those things we have today. And so 
runners went and walkers went and word got to Joppa where a beloved disciple of Christ by the name of Tabitha or Dorcas dies. And they knew Peter was there and he had healed the lame man. And someone said, go and bring Peter to Joppa. Perhaps God will do a miracle. And guess what happened? God did a miracle. And Peter comes and he prays for Dorcas. He prays for Tabitha and she is raised from the dead. And many, the Bible says, turn to the Lord. And they ask Peter to stay. And so he stays in Joppa at the house of Simon, a tanner. And Peter's there just preaching the gospel to those people who are hungry for what God is doing. For the salvation of God. They were hungry for the salvation of God. And about 30 to 40 miles up the coast, in a coastal city by the name of Caesarea, there's a Roman centurion. Now, a centurion, he was a Roman, which means he was from Italy. He was of the Italian regiment, which meant everyone in his regiment, which would have been about 600 people, they were all Romans. They were all Italians. And a centurion was a commander or captain of 100 men. So he had 100 men under him. He was a man of authority. And he was there in Caesarea for a very important reason because the, the Roman procurator was there in Caesarea. That means the, the Roman financial guy. Caesarea was a place where they, they took care of the finances of the empire in that region. And so they didn't entrust guarding the procurator with just any regiment. They wanted Romans from Italy who would be unquestionably loyal to the empire versus soldiers who they inscripted who were conquered by uh, in, you know, other nations and other people. So you realize the Roman army had people, soldiers from every nation in the known world. So every time Rome would conquer a nation, they would enslave people and they would inscript people. And so the nations they conquered became parts of their army. But they had Italians in Caesarea guarding the city and the, the officials there because they wanted their most trusted people there. Now think about it. I think it's kind of interesting. So we're early in the days of the gospel being preached. Now we know, because we're in Romans chapter, I mean we're in Acts chapter 10, we know in Acts chapter 8, there was a great persecution that arose. So what I'm going to do today, I'm going to set the stage for us to go through Acts chapter 10. And then next week, we're going to go through this and look and detail what's, what's happening here. So think about it, in Acts chapter 8, this great persecution arises. And what does that persecution do? It says that it causes all of those disciples who were living in Jerusalem, happily living in Jerusalem, happily worshiping in Jerusalem, preaching and teaching the gospel to other Jews who 
would come and go from Jerusalem. There's a problem with that. Do you know what the problem is? It's not what Jesus commanded them to do. So we see the Great Commission in all four Gospels and in the book of Acts. And in the book of Acts, when Jesus is with his disciples and he tells them, go and wait in Jerusalem for the promise of the Father. For when the promise comes, you will be endued with power from on high to be witnesses to me. Where? In Jerusalem, in Judea, in Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. So the great commission was that the disciples of Jesus would begin preaching where? In Jerusalem, they move out to Judea, they move out to Samaria, and ultimately they'd move to the ends of the earth. Well, in the excitement, when the day of Pentecost fully came, so from the time that Jesus tells his disciples to go and wait, he's been on earth for 40 days, he ascends and they go and they wait 10 days in Jerusalem. And at the day of Pentecost, when it fully came, the Holy Spirit was poured out on all flesh. And we're going to see this when we, when we go into chapter 10. This is Peter comes down from the upper room filled with the Holy Spirit and he preaches a sermon to men that have been gathered from every nation, Jewish men or Gentiles who had converted to Judaism. They were gathered there in obedience to the law because the Feast of Pentecost was one of those three feasts where all men were gathered, commanded to gather together in the place that God would choose for his name to dwell forever. You have to come on Wednesday night in our study of the book of Revelation to really understand what that means, what that place is. And it's not a geographic place in the Middle East. It's much bigger than that. It's much more important than that. It transcends geography. And it speaks of something eternal. It speaks of the very reason Jesus was crucified so that in his death and in his resurrection, he would birth his church. And the command was to go and to preach, to make disciples. But they didn't do that. So persecution comes, chapter 8 of Acts, and the persecution disperses the disciples. And then we see this from Acts chapter 8, Acts chapter 9. They begin preaching. Guess what? They go into Judea. No big problem, right? Jews live in Judea. I don't have a problem with preaching to Jews. But, but then all of a sudden, they go into Samaria. Now we got a problem because Jews and Samaritans, they don't get along. They, they don't. They don't like each other. In fact, the Jews hate the Samaritans. So this is straight up, unadulterated, pure bigotry. I mean, you talk about bigotry and racism and intolerance. The Jews had no tolerance for Samaritans because Samaritans were traitors to God. They disobeyed God. They abandoned God long ago, and the Jews just didn't have anything to do with them. But guess what God commanded the church to do? To preach the gospel with power in Jerusalem and in Judea. But don't stop there. In Samaria, 
and to the utter parts of the earth. And so that happened. Now we come to Acts chapter 10. We see this, this, we see Peter going to Lydda. He goes to Joppa. He's there in Joppa preaching the gospel happily. And remember I said nothing happens in a disconnected way. Everything is connected directly, indirectly, in obscure ways or in very clear and obvious ways. Nothing happens in a vacuum and everything has an effect on something else. As Peter's traveling through the country, he comes to Lydda. He heals Aeneas. He heals Tabitha, Dorcas. He's now in Joppa. He's not in Jerusalem anymore. He's in Joppa. He's just two days' journey down the coast from Caesarea. And he's, he's staying at the house of Simon, a tanner by the seaside. And one day at noon, Peter just decides he's going to go up on the roof and pray. It was his, no doubt, it was his practice every day. Because the Jews, devout Jews, prayed at 9 o'clock. They prayed at noon. And they prayed at 3 o'clock. Those were the hours of prayer during the day. And Peter goes up on his house at noon to pray, which no doubt was his custom. But guess what happened the day before unknown to Peter? There was a Roman centurion by the name of Cornelius, who Peter did not know. The day before, at the hour of prayer, the ninth hour of prayer, which is 3 p.m. in the afternoon, Cornelius, which would have been his custom as a devout man who prayed to God, it would have been his custom at 3 p.m. every day to pray to God. So as was his custom, he, he goes into prayer at 3 p.m., the ninth hour, Something strange happens. Something out of the ordinary happens. In his routine of praying every day, on this day, he has a vision and an angel comes to him. And the angel gives him very specific instruction. And Cornelius obeys those instructions. He sends men to Joppa to fetch Simon, whose surname is Peter. So they leave that day. It's a two-day journey. The next day, about noon, a little after, sometime in there, while Peter's up on the rooftop, those guys from Caesarea arrive at Simon's house and Peter's just up there doing what he does every day, and he's praying. But this day, something strange happens as Peter's praying. He has a vision. Now, you know who Peter is, right? He's the apostle of the Lord Jesus Christ. He's a Jew. Peter is a Jew. Cornelius is a Gentile. He's a Roman. He's an Italian. But it doesn't matter to the Jews. They're all Gentiles. If you're not a Jew, you're a Gentile. Peter's a Jew. 
He's praying on Simon the Tanner's rooftop, and in the midst of his praying, he has a vision, and in this vision, Peter sees something like a sheet lowered down, and inside the sheet, it says every kind of animal and creeping thing, which means there was bacon in there. There, were, there was pigs inside that sheet. And there were other things that were considered common or unclean, things that Peter would never have imagined eating. In fact, I believe that it was exclusively unclean things, if not mostly. So that when Peter saw what was inside that sheet, there was no mistaking. And immediately, when Peter hears the voice of the Lord say, Peter, kill and eat, Peter's immediate reaction, without even thinking, was, Lord, nothing common or unclean has ever touched my lips. Now, everything is connected in some way. Believe it or not, like it or not, the things we do have an effect. What we do matters. It matters in small ways, and it matters in great ways. And only God knows the accurate measure because all is according to his plan and his purpose. That is a truth that we should find to give us comfort. We should find peace in knowing that truth. Two, all of these events seemingly are disconnected events. Cornelius goes to his hour of prayer never thinking he's going to have an angel visit him, never thinking that he's going to have to send men to Joppa to fetch some strange person he doesn't even know, and God gives him enough detail that he tells him exactly where to go and who to ask for. Peter goes up on the rooftop at noontime, which no doubt was his custom. He's going to have some prayer time before lunchtime. And all of a sudden, God literally blows his mind and gives him a vision. Whether you realize it or not, do you realize how that vision that Peter received, how it has affected us? I mean, it, it literally changed the course of history. I mean, literally, it's why you can eat food and not feel guilty. It's why you can eat that pig. You can have your steak with shrimp and not have to ask God for forgiveness afterwards. Because shellfish, catfish... All of those things are forbidden in the dietary laws. And if we're still having to keep all of the law, then we're under that law. But what God began to show Peter that day, and what God began to show Cornelius, and what God did with that encounter between Peter the Jew and Cornelius the Gentile has literally changed history. 
And it's a good thing. Because I don't know, I don't know if you are, but I'm not a Jew. I will tell you this, though. I am an Israelite. Because Israelites aren't just Jews any longer. Paul says not all Israel is Israel. But those who are of faith. Abraham is my father. Not biologically. But by promise and by faith. And Paul writes in his letter to the Galatians. You are all children of Abraham. If you are in Christ Jesus. So we're not all Jews, but because of what Jesus has done, because of these revelations that, that God bothered to show his apostles in this strange Roman centurion who just was praying his daily prayers, and God chose to use that man, not because he was more deserving, because he wasn't. It was just the grace of God. But I will say this. I think it was on purpose that God didn't choose a centurion or a regiment that was from another nation. Because you know what? That regiment was from Rome. That means that there were 600, at a minimum, 600 Romans there in Caesarea. And we know this man, Cornelius, was a devout man who prayed, who loved God, and who loved God's people. And he sent another devout soldier, the Bible says, to get Peter. So we know there's two devout Roman soldiers there. And one is centurion, a commander of a hundred. And you can be sure that before it was all said and done, Cornelius preached the gospel. Because he was already living it and he didn't even know it. And now with faith in Jesus, you can imagine that those, at least those 100 Romans under his command, maybe even more than that, probably even more than that, somehow that gospel preached to those Roman soldiers got back to their families in Italy. Do you see how God works? How God worked in ways that we can't see the direct connection, but we have to believe that it was not an accident that right there on the seashore, God would pick a Roman centurion who would have the opportunity to export the gospel all the way back to the capital of the most powerful empire on the face of the earth. Even though the early church, before Acts chapter 8, did not obey God's command to take the gospel to the ends of the earth. God had a plan. God already knew Cornelius. He created Cornelius for this reason. He placed Cornelius in Caesarea for that reason. God knew there would come a day when Aeneas would need to be healed, and he chose Peter to heal him. And he knew that Tabitha would die, and he would be he would lead Peter to Joppa to raise up Tabitha from the death and that word would spread and he would give a vision through an angel to a Roman centurion who would come down and take Peter back to Caesarea and Peter would preach to all of this Roman's household. 
And that gospel that Peter preached to those Gentiles was exported from that seaport to God only knows where and how far-reaching those events were in changing the history of the world. And do you know how all that started? It all started by two men completely unconnected as far as they knew, just simply doing what they did every day. It didn't seem especially important. It didn't seem especially earth-shattering or life-changing. They just went and prayed like they did every day. And who knows what their mood was that day. Maybe Cornelius was frustrated. Maybe he was busy, but he was going to pray. Who knows? It doesn't tell us. But you understand because we have days like that, right? Sometimes we just do the things that we do every day, and sometimes we do them happily. Sometimes we do them with a good attitude. Sometimes we don't do them happily. Sometimes we just do them because we have to or we feel like we have to, and maybe we don't even have a good attitude about it. But you know what? God is not constrained by our good or our bad attitudes. God works when he decides to work because it's his plan. It's his story. And on that particular day, completely unknown to Cornelius, God intervenes in his life. And on the next day, completely unknown to Peter, God has already intervened in the life of Cornelius. God had already sent men to get Peter, and Peter didn't even know it. Until Peter goes up as his custom, just normal prayer, prayer before lunch. Go up the rooftop, Simon. Spend some time in prayer. Call me when lunch is ready. That's literally the picture we see painted here. And while Peter's up on the rooftop waiting for lunch to be ready, just spending some time in prayer with God, boom. God intervenes and shows him a picture that shook Peter to the core because it went against everything Peter was. But Peter could not deny because he knew the Lord. He knew the voice of the Lord. and He knew this was God. But as we'll see next week, even though Peter knew it was God, he did not understand anything about the vision that God showed him. It became understandable through the progression of time and the progression of events. And that's very often the way God works in our life. We want to know the answer right away. We want to know every reason why. We want to see the, the, the end and the beginning. We want to know exactly where this is leading. But God says, no, nope, hold on, just trust me. You're going to have to just take a step and trust me. But God, where, where, is, this, where is this leading? Uh, just trust me. And in time, God makes all things clear. Amen. All right, so next week... We'll get into the meat of this chapter. That was your intro today, okay? And we'll go through these verses, and we'll look at everything that happens here, and um, we'll see what God has. Amen? All right. So let's get ready and come to the table today. Let's all stand. So when life comes out of left field and smacks you straight in the face and knocks you down and you don't know where that came from and you don't know what the purpose of that was, 
and you're living in the midst of those trials, those fiery trials that life brings to us, and you're trying to figure out God's plan and God's purpose, I want you to remember this table. I want you to remember the body of Christ and the blood of Christ that was given up for you, that was poured out for you. And I want you to remember that there is no event, there is no circumstance, there is nothing that happens in this life that is disconnected from the plan and the purpose of God. And even when we cannot see how that plan will work out, we have the promise from God that he works all things together for good to those who love him and are the called according to his purpose. God doesn't tell us when that will happen. It doesn't tell us how that will happen. It just promises that it will happen. So when we are tempted to become impatient with God's working out all things together for good, remember the promise doesn't put a time on it. The promise just is. And it's God's promise. And God is not a man that he should lie. God cannot lie. God is good. God is true. And his word is eternal. Jesus himself said, heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will never pass away. This is the word of the Lord to you. Trust him in those disconnected, undiscernible circumstances. Trust him that he is working all things together for good because you are called and you know you are called because you love him. And the only way you can love him is because he first loved you. So if you ever question your call, if you ever question whether you truly are called and whether you truly do belong to him, ask yourself, do I love Jesus? And if the answer is yes, then no, the only way you can love him is because he loved you first. You chose him because he chose you. So have hope and know that God is ever working out his plan, his purpose, and he has made us a part of that. And that is grace and that is glory. It is a glorious thing to be part of God's plan and purpose in this earth. And you are, every one of you. Amen.